Hello, golfers. Hey, golfers here. Now live on WWLS, the sports animal, this is the 73rd hole with Sam Humphreys. I'm Tiger Woods. I'm Tiger Woods. Sam. Oklahoma's premier golf show, giving you insider access and interviews to golf in the state of Oklahoma and on the PGA Tour. Good shot. It's the 73rd hole. I love (laughs) y'all. On 98.1 FM, WWLS, the sports animal. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Radio Show live on the Sports Animal. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon today. We're back after our vacation last week. Preston, did you have a good Memorial Day? What did you do last weekend? Uh, well, I tried to get in uh, 54 holes of golf, but I was unable to. I got about, oh, I want to say 28 or so. Okay, something that's, like that. That's good. Where'd you go play? I, I went to uh, John Conrad, and then we went to uh, Hefner South, and we got kicked off on the 14th because of lightning. So we didn't get <laughs> I, I thought you were about to tell me a good story or something. No, but... no, no. I, I wish, I wish, but no. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Nothing better than some Memorial Day golf. But let me welcome in my co-host, not only on this radio show, but on the 73rd Hole podcast as well, Taylor Williams. Taylor, what's going on today? We got some good golf to talk about. Not only the Memorial, but we'll get into uh, our NCAA recap. Rose Zhang continues to dominate in uh, uh, women's golf, T-Dub. We, we have a lot of stuff to get into, but T-Dub, how's it going today? Well, going great, guys. I mean, I, you just talked about the Memorial. What do we have? We have... 22 guys within three shots of the league going in this afternoon. I mean, it's just going to be an epic shootout on what is one of the best courses that they play on an annual basis, Muirfield Village. I cannot wait to see what happens this afternoon. No doubt about it. You said 22 within three shots. There's 38 within five shots. Uh, So it is going to be an epic shootout this afternoon. We'll break that down here in a second fellas but i gotta start off and and not really talk about golf for a second but i mean golfers will relate to this yesterday i went to the softball fellas and and it was ou tennessee and it was florida state uh and washington and explain this to me i mean i played college golf and competitive golf for a long time for like 20 years and I think that I am more tired today after just sitting in the sun than I am on a normal day back in the day when I would just walk 18 holes and or even 36 holes on some days out in the sun playing golf. The next day I get up just fine. Today I got up and I just felt like crap after just sitting in the sun. T-Dub, would you please explain this phenomenon to me? It's youth and age, Sam, is all it is. I mean, father time is catching up with is what it is. But the, the sun is, is pretty strong, I'll give you that. It, it, what it makes me think, Sam, is that how in the world did I ever used to walk 36 holes of golf in one day? And I've done it probably 100 times in yeah, my life. It's it, awful. it still boggles my mind any time I think about it. Because if I try to walk probably 13 holes, now I'd probably die or have to call an ambulance on me, let alone 36 holes. It, it, it's just mind-blowing. Yeah, I mean, we used to walk 36 holes, T-Dub, and the only thing we needed was some butt paste and baby powder to make sure, you know, that region was all good to go, Preston. And so, can you explain the phenomenon to me? I'm all sunburned. I'm tired. I mean, I was so hot yesterday just sitting in the sun that I didn't even want to drink a Coors Light. Yeah, I mean, look, I used to play baseball in the heat of the summer 
you know and you were probably just up. fine right exactly and I, I went through the same thing thursday i uh, I'm, did you go to the softball i i did and i'm i'm still fried over here and uh yeah it was very tough so i you know i'm gonna go for round two today and see if i can do some studying for you so i get we'll we'll dive into the ncaa tournament and get into all things ncaa later on in the show but i do want to start off the show with a little and pose a question to you guys i want to talk about this t-dub Yesterday, when I was, you know, experiencing the softball, and obviously, you know, it's at the same place every single year, they want to make it to OKC. Or in baseball, they got to make it to Omaha, right? And it's this big deal where it's at the same place every single year. And in golf, in the NCAA tournament, we don't have that, right? And at Greyhawk, it was there for three years. Next year, it's going to be out in California for three more years. Um, but T-Dub, I have maybe an unpopular opinion about this. I feel like the NCAA is trying to make golf to where, oh, you got to make it to California or, oh, you got to make it to Greyhawk, right? Or I think ideally they might want to even have one specific course where they go to every single year. T-Dub, I think that's a bad idea. I think that the NCAA golf tournament should be held at a different course every single year. And the reason being is because like a Greyhawk, for instance, and we'll dive into the actual tournament later, but great players like a Ludwig Aberg or Gordon Sargent, that course did not allow them to hit driver and it took the driver out of their hands. But that's just one example of why I think that some courses set up good for some guys and some courses don't. And I don't think, I just think golf is different to where you have to spread spread the wealth and have it at a different place every single year. I don't think you can have that one place where it's like a Omaha or it's like an Oklahoma City for softball. Do you think I'm crazy for that? I just had that thought yesterday. No, generally, I pretty much agree with you. I think that you look at the great courses that they played nationals that over just uh, the last few years i mean they had it at the blessings in in arkansas carson creek that, that's one of the problems though right is that a lot of these good courses are are at courses that where a college always plays there right so like even when osu held, held at carson creek where they won there in 2018 there was a lot of backlash saying man the, the only reason they won is because it was on their home course so but you look at back in like 2014 they had it at prairie dunes in 2012 they they had nationals at riviera so it's like I feel like if you can go to courses like that or 2009, they went to Inverness as well. So go to somewhere like that. I'm just not a big fan, Sam, of, of a situation like that where a team can make it to nationals and it be on their home course that they play. We talk about that all the time, right, with teams barely getting into a regional but yet getting to play on their home course gives them such a big advantage. I'm not a big fan, big fan of seeing teams uh, have what is supposed to be the biggest tournament in collegiate golf on the course that they play almost every single day throughout the year. I think that's a little bit unfair in my opinion. I agree with that. Now, for OSU at Carson, I mean, that team had Victor Hovland, Matthew Wolf, Austin Eckroat. Those guys were probably going to win the national championship regardless. But in general, I agree with you that the national championship should not be on someone's home course. Um, by the way, the name of the course that they're going to next year um, and the next three years actually is Omni La Costa Resort and Spa Champions Course in Carlsbad, California. So they are done at Greyhawk and will be in Carlsbad, California for the next three years. We'll dive more into that later on in the show, fellas. But I just had that thought yesterday. I was like, this is really cool that everyone looks forward to going to Oklahoma City, but I just don't think that it could work in the game of golf. But 
We'll get into that later. Uh, T-Dub, the Memorial, one of the biggest tournaments on the PGA Tour, elevated event this week. Rory McIlroy is tied for the lead with David Lipsky and Siwoo Kim uh, at six under par. And T-Dub, let's talk about Rory McIlroy to start off this show because I got home last night. I watched the highlights of Rory McIlroy's round. Um, really more than highlights. I, I ran through it on uh, on the DVR, but T-Dub, what I saw from Rory yesterday, and he shoots two under on the round, that was about as good as Rory McIlroy was going to shoot yesterday. Rory, on his round yesterday, he chipped in. He made the you know 15-footer from just off the green, and then he made three par putts from over 10 feet I mean, Rory, one of those, it was one of those days, you know, we talk all the time in golf where, oh, that guy didn't get everything out of his round. He struck it really nice, you know, but didn't necessarily get everything he could have out of the round. That was one of those rounds, T-Dub, where Rory McIlroy got everything out of that round. And when you look at this leaderboard headed into Sunday, like we said, 38 guys within five shots of lead, 22 guys within three shots of the lead. It has to worry you a little bit if you're a Rory McIlroy fan that he lost over a full shot strokes gained approach yesterday. Now, he did get the job done with the putter, but the lag putting was awful at times for Rory. So I think there's enough worrisome aspects to his round yesterday where I don't know if he, he strikes it like that again today on Sunday. I don't think that's good enough for him to win the golf tournament because one of those 10-footers is going to miss on a Sunday. I just think the law of averages says so. It's just pretty fun to hear you talk about your favorite player of all time, Sam, and Rory McIlroy. It's nice to uh, <laughs> nice to hear you break down his game in depth. Uh, but, but, no, I completely agree with what you're saying. His iron play yesterday was very atrocious according to – uh, standards that a Rory McIlroy holds. He did have the chip in on 12, which really did propel him. Was able to make two birdies coming in on, on 15, the par five, and then made a nice one there on 17 as well. But the encouraging thing for the Rory McIlroy fans like yourself out there, Sam, is that over the last, really since the Phoenix Open back in February, he's been so off and on with the putter that it's been honestly a little bit ridiculous. He either putts just a little bit above average or he puts atrociously bad. And it seems like this week that he's on the side of it going good. He's uh, he's gained more than a full shot putting for the entire week, gaining almost a full shot around the greens as well. Obviously chipping in helps with that, but that's been a big catalyst for his game as well. He is gaining almost a full shot off of the tee like Rory uh, usually does just because he can hit the ball so far. And even times when he's missing fairways, he can still get the ball in place. So, But, no, I, I do think you're on to something. If he's not going to be able to uh, to hit those – hit the iron shots a little bit better coming into coming into what he did yesterday, then uh, then I think he is going to be struggling just because there's so many good players there congested on the leaderboard. No, there really is. But let's let the people know who the guys are tied with Rory McIlroy because we'll hear a lot about the big names today. And I think some people, casual golf fans out there, are wondering who is David Lipsky? Well, he played his college golf at – the at Northwestern University he's 34 years old uh you know been a journeyman on the PGA Tour for a while but T-Dub this week was very unexpected for David Lipsky I mean uh leading up to the Byron Nelson nine tournaments prior to the Byron Nelson he lost shots on the greens putting so an all-time putting slump from David Lipsky but then he goes to the AT&T Byron Nelson he misses the cut but he gains 
uh, almost a shot and a half on the greens. And then he goes, so maybe he found something on the greens, had a little confidence there. Goes to the Charles Schwab at, at Colonial last week, finishes tied for 16th. Uh, and now he's tied for the lead with Rory McIlroy and Siwoo Kim headed into the final round. Um, it's one of those situations, T-Dub, where all of these guys are professionals. They just have to find maybe one little thing in their golf game that gives them a little confidence. And now uh, he is tied for the lead. Now, I will say, based on the stats, you would have to believe that the putting isn't going to hold up on a Sunday with so so many big names on that leaderboard, T-Dub. But it's a really uh, cool story if you're wanting to root for an underdog today. Yeah, I remember watching it yesterday. I see David Lipsky cash a t- about a 15-footer for birdie on 11 and then hits it to two feet on 12. And I said, what in the world is going on here? Like, this is not what I anticipated on watching this afternoon. But but then kind of not – you didn't expect this to happen, but it definitely was not shocking that he bogeyed three of his last six holes coming in to go from nine under down back to six under. And, and Lipsky, he has been out there for a while. He played most, most of his young career on the European tour, actually. From 2014 to 2019, he played – Solely on the European Tour, played upwards of almost 30 events every single year. So he got a lot of experience there. Then went on the Corn Ferry Tour and was able to get his car. So he's been out on the tour for the last uh, couple of years now. And the, the 16th finish at Colonial is definitely a, a bright light. And then over his last two tournaments, he has gained shots on the greens. But, yeah, as you mentioned earlier, Sam, his putting, especially at the start of this year, was absolutely horrible. We talked bad on Rory's putting, but David Liskey's putting was, was on another level. And Liskey's not going to be the longest player out there. Almost every single tournament, he's below average in distance. So one thing he's done over the last couple of years is that he's gotten his accuracy better, which, I mean, Sam, there's a few things worse in golf than being uh, short and crooked. So if you're going to be short, you might as well hit it halfway straight, and, and it looks like Liskey's been able to at least implement that into his game a little bit. T-Dub, please explain to me Siwoo Kim's golf game for me because it's an absolute roller coaster. It's one of those guys that, you know, data golf, there's no use for him on data golf because some weeks he'll go out there and lose a half a shot on the green. Some weeks he'll go out and gain over a shot and a half on the greens. He's only missed three cuts since uh, the tour or the tournament of champions. Um, You know, he won the Sony open in Hawaii um, and then, Finished tied for second at the Byron Nelson. Finished 29th, tied for 29th at the Colonial last week. Um, but when you look at his stats this week, T-Dub, it's really the best he has hit it off the tee all year. He's gaining over a shot and a half off the tee this week at the Memorial. Can you please explain his game to me? I don't know how we prognosticate what's going to happen with Siwoo Kim because he does know how to win. He's won this year on the PGA Tour, but at the same time, it's been a roller coaster year for Siwoo Kim. The equivalent of betting on Siwoo Kim in golf is similar to finding some random crypto coin and putting some money into it. That's literally what it's like because it is We're so just flipping that crypto coin. It's just flipping it, right? <laughs> like heads or tails. Yeah, it- and you, there has been some some signs of life for sure. At least recently, finished second in the Byron Nelson, finished seventh in the team competition down in down in New Orleans. Did win the Sony Open back at the start of the year, so at least has that. He's actually tenth currently in the FedEx Cup points in the top ten, which is pretty crazy because I don't feel like I've seen a whole lot of him. And one thing that's also crazy about Sue Kim is I feel like he's been on tour for like twenty years, and he's only twenty seven years old. It's like I, I feel like that he should be a lot older than that. Like Father Time has stopped with Siwoo Kim. It's pretty insane. But the last four events of this season, he's gained strokes approach, so he's getting his iron game going there. He's usually a pretty good off-the-tee player. He usually hits it very, very straight. And 
the last three years at, at the Memorial Stadium, he finished 13th, 9th, and 18th. So, in all honesty, it's probably a guy that we should have been looking at as maybe more of a value play coming in this tournament because had some good recent form on this course and had been hitting his iron, had been ball striking it really well. And uh, his problem the last couple weeks had been around the greens and putting, and this week he's uh, got that figured out. He's gaining almost a full shot around the greens, and he at least pa- he's not gaining as many shots on the greens as Lipsky or Rory is, but yet he's still gaining strokes in that category. He's gaining 1.5 off of the tee this week. So uh, that's definitely been what's been getting uh, Siwoo going. And uh, in all honesty, he's not going to be my pick to win this afternoon, but it wouldn't shock me one bit if he did go out and play a solid round and do end up winning this thing. T-Dub, you got two former OSU Cowboys right there tied for fourth place at five under par, Victor Hovland and Wyndham Clark. Both guys have had solid starts to their 2023 season. They're also tied with Denny McCarthy, who is, if not the best putter on tour, he's probably the best putter on the PGA Tour. Cam Smith is the best putter on Lib. Those two guys are probably the best putters alive right now, if you had to ask me. Um, But Denny McCarthy gaining over two and a half shots on the field on the greens this week uh, per round. That's unbelievable stuff from Denny McCarthy. But speaking to the Cowboys, uh, T-Dub, Victor Hovland, Wyndham Clark, Javi this week is actually gaining now. It's not very much. It's .2 around the greens, but uh, his putter has seemed to heat up a little bit recently. We saw it at the the PGA, T-Dub, but... When Victor Hovland is able to make those 10 to 20-foot putts and and really cash in on the solid iron play. Now, his iron play has been up and down like he lost shots with the irons at the Wells Fargo and the, and the Colonial. But at the same time, he's one of the premier iron players on the PGA Tour. Um, but when he's able to cash in those birdie looks, he is one of those guys to look out for and one of the elite players in the world. Now, the problem is he goes up and down a little bit, and I think that's partially just because he's young. Wyndham Clark, on the other hand, gets it done off the tees, an absolute bomber, Um, and this week I think is one of those weeks where he really thrives where he doesn't necessarily have to shoot a 25-under at the Memorial. He's 5-under par and tied for fourth place. I think that's a good course for Wyndham Clark, and so – if you had to prognosticate which former Cowboy you like more headed into the final round here at the Memorial, which one would you go with, Victor Hovland or Wyndham Clark? It seems like you just say the names off there and you have to go with Victor Hovland. But, uh, I mean, just looking at it, I'm not going to throw Clark out of the stretch at all. I mean, what's crazy about it, too, is he's the 15th-ranked player analytically in the world right now. It's like you don't look at Wyndham Clark and think that he's a top-15 player. But he's playing up to that point, as of this moment, he, he did miss the cut at the PGA Championship was, was a little bit of a setback. But, no, I think Clark has a good chance. I'm not going to throw Hovland out as well. I, I don't think Hovland's going to win. I don't – he's still – we're going to sound like a broken record here, but he's still yet to win the Continental United States, which absolutely just blows my mind. And, and you look at it yesterday, he was kind of a little bit down in the pack, was able to birdie, what, three of his last four holes, I believe, to uh, – yeah, he birdied 15, 16, and 17 coming in, was able to vault him up the leaderboard a little bit. So it really wasn't a mix in this tournament, really, until very, very late. So, But, no, he can definitely make an impact this afternoon as well. The question is, when is Hovey's time going to come? Because he's going to win on the on the PGA Tour eventually. He's going to win the United States as a pro very soon. It's just a matter of when. I, I just There's so many guys around there. Could he come out and do it? Yes, but I'm probably going to look a different direction as much as I know a lot of people around this state would love to see Javi win. But I will say, as you mentioned earlier, Tim, that putter gaining almost 1.5 on the greens. If he's going to putt like that this afternoon, 
he's going to have a great chance. Going to be one of those few guys uh, on the when coming down the last few holes. No doubt. And by the way, Wyndham Clark, Denny McCarthy, and Victor Hovland are also tied with Lee Hodges and Mark Hubbard. Now. There's guys like Victor Hovland, Colin Morikawa, Patrick Cantlay, Hideki, Speed, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Fowler, Rom, Scheffler, Xander, Hatton, Burns, Lowry, Scott, Sung J.M., all within five shots of the lead. Those are the big names. But like I said, there's also some David Lipskys, Denny McCarthy, uh, you know, Lee Hodges and, and Mark Hubbards. It, it, you could get a disappointing, at least as like a as a golf fan. Uh, it would be a good story for an underdog, but it, you could get a disappointing, for lack of a better term, winner today, T-Dub. There's definitely a chance of that for sure, just with how many people are there. And you mentioned the name Ricky Fowler. I mean, he was six under with six holes to go, actually with five holes to go. It got to an exceptional break on 14 and not going the creek. Was able to make a, a decent bogey there. And then bogey's last three holes coming in. I mean, it's just I keep expecting Ricky. He's playing such good golf to kind of get it rolling and to stay in contention when he gets there. But Sam, for whatever reason, he just looks to the leaderboard when he's up there and runs away like a scared dog. I don't know what to make of this Rick Stoddard thing. I, I, he's playing too good of golf to keep getting up there and letting it down. It's at a point to where his swing is getting there, Sam, but the mental is, is still holding him back so much, and so many people around here would love to see Ricky go out and win a tournament, but he's going to have to get that between the ears and get that confidence with what him and Butch have been working on because it just happened countless times where he gets – I see it. He's be on the first page of the leaderboard to be within a shot or two of the lead. Next thing you know, look at it this morning, Sam, he's in 23rd place. It's just kind of mind-blowing to me that this continuously keeps happening. The other former Cowboy in the top 20 before we hit the break here is Austin Eckroat. Tied for 14th right now at three under par, and he's on a little bit of a heater right now, T-Dub. He finished tied for 16th at the Colonial, finished tied for second, obviously, at the Byron Nelson. He seems to be getting something figured out. I think he missed 10 cuts to start, not in a row, but, you know, uh, missed 10 cuts uh, throughout his first year at having a tour card on the PGA tour did have a solo fifth place at Punta Cana um, did have the uh, uh, tie for 38th place at the worldwide technologies championship and the tie for 12th at the Sony open. So it's been a little bit of a roller coaster start to Austin Eckroat's PGA tour career, but it seems like he's really finding something in his game to have that consistency that you have to have if you're going to not only keep your PGA Tour card, but contend in some of these events. And it seems like Austin Eckroat doesn't have any conscience because he is contending at tournaments like a Byron Nelson or a Colonial. And now the Memorial, he has no fear. And he's had no fear at every single level of golf that he's played in. Won the state championship as a freshman at Edmund North here uh, in, in Oklahoma and then goes and wins a national championship for the team at Oklahoma State, uh, you know, makes his, uh, makes his PGA Tour card through the Corn Ferry Tour, and now he's on the PGA Tour, and it seems like he's finally getting comfortable being out there. Sometimes it just takes young, talented guys like an Austin Eckra a little bit to, uh, you know, not only it's their first time seeing the courses, but at the same time just being comfortable being out there with some of these big names that you see on these leaderboards. I was a little disappointed yesterday because right as soon as I, I got home and turned the golf on, they were finishing up 
what was the walking up where they had Austin Eckert on there, put the little AirPod in his ear, and he was talking. I wish I would have gotten to listen to that. I'm sure he did a, a great job on that. But it, it, a very similar thing to what happened last year with him, Sam. He was on the Corn Ferry. Right around the May to start of June, he started playing some really good golf, had so many very consecutive top 25s in a row, and, and then was able to definitely secure his corn or his PJ Tour card for this coming year. And I feel like that that's going to be a very similar thing to what we see this year with him, finished second and 16th. His last two events, he's gaining strokes gained off the tee. His last six events, gaining strokes gained approach, four out of his last five, gaining strokes on the greens his last two events as well. So it seems like most of his game is really coming around. He's currently 76th in the FedEx Cup standings. We've talked at length about how being in the top 70 is going to be such a big advantage, especially going forward with the elevated events, how they are. And with how he's playing now and with where he stands, being at 76, I'd be pretty shocked, Sam, by the time the, the time this season ends, that he's not within the top 50 of FedEx Cup because I feel like that he's finally starting to get the momentum that, that we all know that he has. No doubt about it. If you want to weigh in on the Memorial today or anything else in the world of golf, 405-900-WWLS. That is the Lucky Star Line and the Trade Pros Heat and Air Text Nation Line, 405 900 Seven Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon on Oklahoma's leader in golf, the 73rd hole. And we are back here on the 73rd hole radio show live on the sports animals. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon. Let's switch gears for a second, T-Dub, because we have to talk about this. The women's game might be seeing their version of Tiger Woods, T-Dub. And Rose Zhang, we've talked a whole lot about her. I mean, she won the Augusta National Women's Amateur this year. She just recently, a couple weeks ago, uh, won the NCAA Individual National Championship. Uh, she won the Pullman Regional uh, and she's won all sorts of things in her amateur career. She won the the Junior PGA Championship back in 2017 and 2020. She won the U.S. Women's Amateur before she even won uh, the U.S. Girls Junior, which she won in 2021. Uh, she won the 2022 NCAA National Championships, so she won back-to-back -back, uh, national championships for uh, college golf. She has maybe... I don't know if it's a maybe anymore. I think she has the best amateur career for a woman of all time. And so she turns pro this week, T-Dub, and on the LPGA, they're in Jersey, Jersey City, New Jersey, uh, and it's the America's Open. And Rose Zhang, headed into the final round today, has a two-shot lead, and Rose Zhang at 11 under par for her in her debut as a professional to be 11 under par and have a two-shot lead headed into the final round. Are we watching the woman version of Tiger Woods, T-Dub? When it comes to talent on the golf course, probably so. If we're talking about the transcendence off the course, I don't think I don't think it'll even be close in that aspect. But when it comes to just game, no, she, she definitely has, and they're playing – at a great golf course. They're playing up at Liberty National, which has hosted uh, – they've hosted a President's Cup back in 2017. They had um, some FedEx playoff events there. Uh, most recently, I believe the two, 2019 Northern Trust was there where Tony Fina beat Cam Smith in a playoff uh, when Cam Smith hit it out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean on that hole. But, uh, but no, Rosang is – as you mentioned, her, her resume speaks for itself. And the fact that she's coming out and having such success early – 
is really not a whole lot of a shock, but it, it would be crazy if she can propel this. If she can go out and get the do- deal done today, she does have a two-shot lead, and there's there's three players who are currently two back. And then Minji Lee, one of the best players in the women's game, is four back as well. So it's going to be a tough ask for Roseanne to do this afternoon for sure. But if she is able to get it done and maybe get a couple more wins um, before the end of the year, Sam, maybe potentially contend or maybe win a uh, a women's major coming up, then uh, I definitely think it can be the start of something special because uh, from just from what I've seen watching her at the Augusta Women's National Amateur and a little bit at the at the national championship a couple weeks ago, I mean, she just has all the talent in the world. And I think the only person that's going to get in her way is going to be herself. She's going to need to have some sort of injury or some sort of life thing that happens for her to ruin her game because she is just so solid in every single aspect of it that it's going to be really hard to find a course where she's not going to be able to play and contend at. There's no doubt about it. And the thing about her game, I've watched quite a bit this year of her in the two biggest tournaments that she played in at the Augusta National Women's Amateur and at the NCAA National Championship. It seems like she never misses fairways, T-Dub. She's always in the fairway, which is obviously a huge advantage on the field anytime you can do that. I get asked this question quite a bit. And, you know, Al and I were talking about it a little bit on Al's show on Friday night, and he was asking me, you know, something to the effect of, do you think that golf's in a better place now that, you know, these guys don't necessarily know uh, how to dominate and how to win as much? And I'm trying to explain to Al that, you know, in my opinion, I feel like golf's in a great place right now because you do have way more elite players than you've ever had in the game. Um, but T-Dub, do you think the women's game is better when someone is dominating? To me, yes, what Tiger did was unbelievable, but I feel like the game is in a healthier place in professional men's golf right now. The fact that you have a long list of elite guys that when you go to a major championship, it's like throwing darts at a dartboard on who's going to win because there are so many elite players. Now, in the women's game, you don't have as many household names as you have in the men's game. And I feel like T-Dub that the women's game is better off having one girl dominate every single tournament. And if, if that is Rose Zhang, like she has done her whole junior and then amateur career. And now she's, you know, leading the golf tournament in her first professional event. I think that that's good for the LPGA because it will draw fans out to these tournaments just to see her. I tend to agree with you, Sam. You look at the history of the women's game, at least since I've been around. I mean, I remember Annika coming up. I mean, for me, that was probably the most that I enjoyed watching women's golf just because she was so dominant and it felt like it was really cool to watch her play. I mean, she played in the PGA Tour event, Sam. I mean, that shows how good Annika was back in the day. And the likes of, like, a Lorena Choa, Yanni Singh, and then even someone like Michelle Lee who didn't live up to her potential by any stretch because she had she was so good at 13, 14 years old. She played in the PGA Tour event as well and almost made the cut. She only missed the uh, the Sony Open Cup by one shot, I believe, when she was younger than 18 as well. So Michelle Lee was absolutely unbelievable. But even for the men's game, Sam, let's say let's say how dominant John Rahm was at the start of this year. Let's say that he just kept that run going, right? I, I don't think that that it's not going to make golf any worse, in my opinion. I feel like that there's still so as you mentioned earlier, so many names there, so much talent that has been been brought up over the last uh, at least five to ten years. And particularly, finally, the Tiger effect is starting to take over. These guys coming out are athletes, and they're strong, and they're getting content. And, and we've even seen as well, right, even someone like Rory, he's had his up and downs this year. So, I mean, even the best 
aren't open to uh, to having their game kind of go up and down like a roller coaster. But at the same time, too, as well, Sam. I mean, we have the we have the live tour as well, so we have more options to watch golf. Uh, yeah, PJ Tour Live. There's been things that have come along to. There's still ways that golf viewership could be better, but it's still a lot. It has been vastly improved over what it was a decade ago. So yes, no, I feel like that that the the women's game is in a great spot as well. But I feel like that the men's game, in particular, even if there is going to be one of these players who comes out and does start dominating again, no one's going to do what Tiger did. But even if someone gets close to that, I don't feel like it's going to be a bad thing because even going forward, even what we've seen in in the college golf game, Sam, there's so, just so many good players coming up that there's not going to be any shortage of good golf to be consumed. Yeah, you're exactly right about the college guys. The ball speeds in college golf are ridiculous right now. Uh, a bunch of great can't miss guys, in my opinion, coming out of college, even this year. I mean, um, Gordon Sargent's not coming out this year. Is he, is he coming back to college T dub? Have we heard on Gordon Sargent yet? But anyways, I, I know that Ludwig Aberg is coming out onto the PGA tour after finishing first and PGA tour. You Gordon Sargent's going to be a can't miss guy as well. Um, those college guys are definitely going to just the talent level is something that we haven't seen in the past. And yes, you can thank tiger for that. The tiger effect, uh, is definitely going on in the game of golf, not just with the college guys anymore. These guys are on the PGA Tour. Just look at guys like Justin Thomas or John Rom, Rory. You could go on down the list. Um, but T-Dub, I do think that the game of golf right now, I, I think one thing that makes NBA basketball or NFL football so popular is everyone has their own team, and there's enough – good teams and there's enough parity to where it makes it interesting for people to watch those teams or those players on those specific teams. I feel like golf is getting to the point where there's enough good players to where when you get to a major championship, your 15th ranked player in the world has a way better chance nowadays to win a major championship than when tiger, obviously. Um, so I don't know. It's just a matter of whether you like watching history or whether you like watching uh, you know, more contested golf tournaments, T-Dub. I don't think it makes it bad because obviously we fell in love with golf with Tiger Woods when he was being dominant, and that was really fun to watch, but everyone was rooting for the same guy. So I don't know. I think that golf is – men's professional golf is in a healthy place right now, even without the dominance, although, like I said, I feel like Rose Zhang being dominant on the LPGA Tour is would be massive and bring more eyeballs to the women's game. Well, let's see, even even take what we're seeing here. We are seeing history to an extent, Sam. Like, for example, John Rahm this year, he's averaging like 5.02 birdies per round. And and just put that in perspective, Tiger was the leader before on birdie average in the year in 2000 with 4.92. So we're seeing a golfer make more birdies on average than Tiger did in 2000. That's pretty dang historic if you ask me. So, I mean, it's it just depends on what you mean. And even like Scotty Scheffler too, right? I mean, he's had – what do you have? How many ever consecutive top 12s in a row coming into this week? So, I mean, we're seeing great historic golf being played. Still, it's just a matter of because there's so many guys that are so good out there, you're not going to be able to just go out and dominate. And, and just also to put it in perspective, you look at, like, the all-time rankings, right? So, like, for example, John Rahm earlier this year, he was gaining about 2.8 shots on average uh, per round on, on the field. And Tiger in uh, – actually, his best was in about 2008 – 
he gained uh, over, over four shots on the field. So even players just they can't be as dominant as Tiger Woods because they're not as good. But at the same time, they're, they're still good enough to where – and the other players around them have elevated the, what would be the, the kind of what would be middle of the pack on what would be a PGA Tour is now so elite. And as you mentioned, it's one of the big things we talked about going forward with the uh, PGA Tour no-cut limited, limited field, right? It's like someone like a David Lipsky is not going to be in a limited field going next year. But you get find some little bit of form, and you can start continuing in tournaments. So golf, in my opinion, Sam, has never been deeper. When Even you go down the likes of Corn Ferry Tour, those guys are so good. You mentioned the ball speeds on the on the college golfers is elite now. So now the, the, the professional game of golf, Sam, and the elite competition of golf has never been deeper. I'll put it this way, and you won't find a bigger Tiger Woods fan than me. I mean, I've ride or die for this guy for so many years. Just ask, you know, our buddy Jim Traber. But um, I will say this. If Tiger, if the level of play and these guys were playing against Tiger Woods in his prime, I don't think he wins as much. And I don't think he wins as many majors. It's just the level of play is too high and you know, you're going to have, you know, weeks where you play solid and tiger one with his C plus game. He wouldn't have won those weeks with playing against guys like a John Rahm or, you know, a Brooks Kepka in his prime T-Dub. Well, I, I will say the, the, the deepness of it is there, but no, tiger was still going up great players. I mean, even the all time rankings, VJ Singh in 2004 is the second best player analytically since 1995. David Duvall is the third best. Ernie Els is the is the fifth best. Jim Furyk is down at the ninth best. So no, it's like even though the game from especially from five to thirty is a lot deeper than it was uh, 20 years ago in Tiger played. So there probably is some validity to what you're saying. Would he have won 82 times if if he was playing now? I would go ahead and say no on a regular basis. He, I do think that he would be close to the major aspect, though, just because he gained up so much for those. And even someone like Kepka, right, who has uh, five majors now, I just feel like the Tiger was so geared up for those terms, it would be fine. So, no, there's definitely deeper fields now. But but people underestimate the the, uh, the golfers that Tiger went against. That's not even including Phil Mickelson, who's down in the 14th all-time analytically. So, no, Tiger definitely went against some studs. There just was – a lot more studs now than there was then, but the, at least the, the two through five range back when Tiger played was very, very elite for sure. That's a good way to put it, T-Dub. Let's talk a little bit. Well, let's hit a break here, and then after the break, let's talk about the studs on the leaderboard today and which studs we think are going to have the best chance to win at Jack's Place later on this afternoon. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon, and before we hit a break, I do want to remind everybody to go hit that subscribe button on the 73rd Hole podcast. It's on Spotify, Apple, it's on the sportsanimal.com or golfoklahoma.org. It's absolutely free when you hit the subscribe button, and it just helps us out, and it will give you a notification whenever we drop a new episode. You can also follow us on at Sam Humphreys 34 on Twitter and then at the 73rd hole on Twitter and at 73rd hole on Instagram. T-Dub, give out your social medias. Uh, you know, you've been putting out great stuff throughout not only major championship weeks, but live golf as well. Uh, Twitter is T underscore Williams 101. Instagram is T Williams underscore Tim. Great stuff there. We will be back after the break here on Oklahoma's leader in golf, the 73rd hole radio show. And we're back here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show live on the Sports Animals. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon. 
T-Dub, let's dive back into the memorial at Muirfield Village, Jack's Place. My question is simple, T-Dub. What is making Muirfield Village Place so tough this week? It's always one of the tougher courses they see on a regular basis. The rough out there is, is pretty gnarly from what you've seen. And also, too, the bunkers are pretty penalizing out there as well. I don't know if they've – I remember it was a few years ago that they implemented this where they have like a different type of rake they use for the sand, which kind of adds these deeper grooves in there, which makes those greenside bunkers even harder. So, And it's also, too, one of the – besides the Augusta National, probably the fastest greens that these guys see on a regular basis. Even you even saw a little bit yesterday, the greens were a little bit softer with someone like a Keegan Bradley was able to go out and shot seven under or whatever it was. It was eight under at one point. I think he bogeyed his last hole. So, no, it's uh, in, in the hole designs as well. You just have to be so precise with, with your golf shots and being able to put the shots in, into different positions. So it's such a, a great test of golf. But if you're just even just a little bit off, Sam, it's not unfair by any stretch of the imagination. But if you're just – if you're not a full firing on all cylinders – you're not going to be able to post a very good score out there. It's going to be very, very hard to get the ball in the hole. There's no doubt about that. I think Muirfield Village is probably in my top three of courses on my bucket list that I need to play before I leave this earth, T-Dub. I, I really think that it's one of the most beautiful courses to watch on TV. Muirfield Village is, is just always pristine. You can tell that Jack Nicholas really had Augusta National in mind. Uh, when he was coming up with Muirfield Village. Uh, T-Dub, okay, so I promised the people that we would talk about some of the studs up on this leaderboard. Before we do that, well, not necessarily a big name, but he's a household name if you're a casual golf fan even. Keegan Bradley shoots seven under yesterday, gains almost four shots on the field on the greens. That's the low round of the day uh, in round three, he's tied for ninth along with Colin Morikawa. Colin Morikawa goes out yesterday, shoots four under par. Colin uh, really rolled the rock nicely yesterday, gained over two shots on the greens. If he can do that today, only two shots back. Look out for Colin Morikawa today. Patrick Cantlay, both of our picks headed into this week, T-Dub. He was in great position at six under par to start his third round, but then he goes out and shoots two over par. Now, he didn't necessarily hit it terrible. He had the triple bogey on number six and then made a bogey on number eight two holes later, um, but then played ev or played one under par um, from nine uh, to 18. And so Patrick Cantlay is still very much in this golf tournament on a course that he absolutely loves. I would love to see Patrick Cantlay jump up there and win this golf tournament today. Selfishly, T-Dub, I know you would too, for our one-and-done picks. By the way, if you don't listen to our podcast, we're in this one-and-done pool um, with a ton of people in it, like a uh, 100 people in it. And Basically, I have never taken this thing seriously, but all of a sudden after I picked Brooks Kepka and Scotty Scheffler, we picked two for the majors um, in, in the PGA Championship, and they finished one and two. Now I'm all of a sudden in third place of this one-and-done pool uh, for a bunch of money, and so now I'm having to actually take this serious. I picked Patrick Cantlay this week, uh, and right now he is tied for ninth, only two shots back, and T-Dub, I know you picked him as well. Um Looking down the leaderboard here, Hideki Matsuyama, another guy that did not play well yesterday in round three. He shoots three over. He's tied with Patrick Cantlay and Colin Morikawa for tied for ninth at, at four under par. He had a roller coaster round. He, I mean, he birdied one and two and then bogeyed eight and nine and ten and then birdied 11 
tripled number 12, bogeyed 13, birdied 14 and 15, and then bogeyed 16 and parred his last two to shoot three over par 75. That looks like one of my rounds, T-Dub, for Hideki Matsuyama yesterday, but he's only two shots back uh, after being seven under par going into round three. You also have guys uh, down this leaderboard, three under par, Jordan Spieth lurking, but the putter is not cooperating for Jordan Spieth. Lost almost three shots on the field yesterday with the putter. Um, Ricky Fowler uh, shot two over yesterday. He's three under par for the golf tournament, tied for 14th, along with Jordan Spieth. Um, so many big names. Scotty Scheffler at two under. Matthew Fitzpatrick at two under. Uh, you have Adam Scott at one under. You have John Rahm. At one over par, uh, you know, two over par yesterday for his round. Um, T-Dub, of, of all of these big names that I mentioned, which player do you think has the best chance to win uh, at Jack's place this afternoon? Well, as you were saying earlier, I sure hope it's Patrick Cantlay for very selfish reasons. I mean, you would probably be very close to leading the one and down. I think there's the guy leading has like a $4 million lead or something like that. So you'd at least vault up the second. And I probably vault up in the top 10. I think I'm 19th or 20th right now. So I'm top 16 or 17 pay in this huge pool. So, no, it would be absolutely great. And I'm going to root for Cantlay. It's going to be my pick. I mean, I picked him to start of the year. He's only two back going into the day. The thing I'm worried about with Cantlay, though, is that he's losing a full shot on the greens. The putter has been – Really, really bad this week, comparatively to what Cantlay is at least used to. In all honesty, though, his driver has been so good. He has not lost strokes gained off the tee going all the way back to the FedEx St. Jude last year, and he's getting almost two shots off the tee this week. So he has something absolutely figured out with his swing and gaining a full shot approach to green as well. So, I mean, Sam, if Cantlay can just make a couple of putts, then he's going to be right there. I mean, just a few. He doesn't even have to putt great. Just make a couple of putts, and he'll be right there. But also then, too, Sam, Adeki Matsuyama, his swing is starting to look good as well. His off-the-tee game is struggling. He's losing shots off there, off the tee, but his irons are looking so good. I mean, he on the first hole, he almost holed out. It's like two feet or something along those lines. So if he can just kind of do everything else a little bit better, Hideki would be right there. But, yeah, yesterday, Sam, that, that back nine looked like an absolute roller coaster. Really from eight through six, eight through 16, he did not make a par. He, had, he went bogey, 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 birdie, triple bogey, birdie, birdie, bogey. So, I mean, if there's not a bigger – stretch of, of nine whole roller coaster there i don't know what it is but uh but Hideki's iron swing looks good but i'm gonna go with cantlay but in all honesty since we both picked him sam the shellfish reasons probably would not come to foolish by the way if you're watching the golf today and see hideki you might not recognize him he has a full beard and they were asking him about why did he grow out the beard he said i don't know but people are saying i look good so i might just keep it and he's playing some good golf as well um, speaking of Patrick Cantlay, he's done it before on this golf course last year, finished tied for third here in 2021. He won the golf tournament in 2019. He won the golf tournament in 2018. He finished fourth. So definitely look for Patrick Cantlay to stay on the top of this leaderboard throughout this afternoon. Uh, T-Dub, we got to hit a break here on the 73rd hole radio show. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon. After the break, next hour, we are going to recap the NCAA National Championship that happened at Greyhawk earlier this week. We recapped on the podcast the individual portion. We'll tell you all about what happened in match play here on the 73rd hole radio show on Oklahoma's leader in golf, the sports animal. 
Hello, golfers. Any golfers here? Now live on WWLS, the sports animal, this is the 73rd hole with Sam Humphreys. I'm Tiger Woods. I'm Tiger Woods. Sam. Oklahoma's premier golf show giving you insider access and interviews to golf in the state of Oklahoma and on the PGA Tour. Good shot. It's the 73rd hole. I love (laughs) y'all. On 98.1 FM, WWLS, the sports animal. And we are back for hour two on the 73rd hole radio show live on the sports animal. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole, with you until noon, we recapped all of the action that's going on at the Memorial first hour. We also talked a little bit about Rose Zhang first hour. And as we lead into this NCAA talk, T-Dub, I, I want to say a couple more things about Rose Zhang. She can accept an automatic LPGA Tour membership with a win today. She would also become the first player to win in her professional debut on the LPGA Tour since Beverly Hansen back in 1951. Um, but, yeah, Rose Zhang, first player to win two NCAA Division One women's individual titles. She won last couple weeks ago at Greyhawk, and she continues to dominate the women's game. Hope Rose Zhang gets the job done later on today. T-Dub, before we get into the action at Greyhawk, um, let's recap since we have the PGA Tour U final rankings. Let's update the people on what those rankings uh, mean and what these players will receive for finishing where they finished on these rankings. So we'll start at the top. Ludwig Aberg will become the first player to ever go straight from college and have his PGA Tour card finishing first place in the PGA Tour University final rankings. The top 20 have been decided, and Ludwig Aberg will be the one guy headed to the PGA Tour with a PGA Tour card. Now, I still feel like it should be the top five guys should get PGA Tour cards, but at least one guy is getting his PGA Tour card. As as it is right now, two through five on the PGA Tour U final rankings earn guaranteed starts on the Corn Ferry Tour this season and can accept unlimited sponsors' exemptions into PGA Tour events, not Corn Ferry events, PGA Tour events. So that is a big deal for them to be able to accept unlimited sponsors' exemptions into PGA Tour events. I feel like Fred Biondi will definitely be getting some of those. Six through ten on the list uh, will get conditional status on the Corn Ferry Tour and full status on PGA Tour Canada. That's where Oklahoma's Patrick Welch fell in this list right here. Uh, He finished eighth on the PGA Tour U final rankings. Good players such as William Mao of Pepperdine, who we've seen in the national championship. Uh, Ricky Castillo uh, finished in this list as well. Yushin Lin uh, as well. So those guys will have conditional status on the Corn Ferry Tour, and they will also be playing their schedule on PGA Tour Canada, and then 11 through 20 earn full status on PGA Tour Canada. T-Dub, what are your thoughts on, you know, the the system as it is right now? I know that you think that, and we got into this on the podcast, that you think that there should be more changes and you don't necessarily love 
uh, the fact that, you know, this took them so long and it basically took Liv to become a deal for them to give Ludwig Aberg uh, or, you know, the top players in college golf a PGA Tour card. But at least it's something to me, T-Dub. What are your thoughts on PGA Tour U? It's definitely something. It's better than it was a decade ago. So I, I guess I can't be upset with the direction that it's going. It's just I think the speed of it, because there are going to be more changes that need to be made. At least now they are giving the number one player a spot on the PGA Tour at least the rest of this year, which has been needed for probably the last 40 years, in all honesty. But but even you look at the guys in the top five right to your point earlier, they should get on the PGA Tour uh, at least through this year. you got Fred Biondi, who's number two. You have Adrian Dumont, who's a great player for Illinois. Ross uh, Steelman, who led the entire Nationals before the final round, lost by one shot at the end of the day. And then Sam Bennett, who we all know from playing in the final round in, or playing in the final group the third round at Augusta. So, I mean, I feel like you look at those guys, I don't think anyone would be upset if they had some starts on the PGA Tour. And they probably will, a few of them will, but I feel like that they should have – essentially full status on the, especially now that there's elevated, not elevated events. These guys definitely need to be in those non-elevated events for sure. It would draw more people to watch it and it would give these guys a better start on in their career. So I think that's a change that, that probably will get done within the next at least two to three years, in my opinion. I'd be shocked in all honesty. If it doesn't, they do get exempt into the PGA Tour qualifying school, which they finish the top five there. They can get PGA Tour cards for next year. But there's a chance that even if they don't have their best stuff, that they'll just be out on the on Corn Ferry next year, which, I mean, that that's not a bad end of the road. If you don't play your best stuff, that may be where you belong. But at the same time, no, there is going to be some tweaks that need to be done. And uh, at least now they do have the opportunity to where if you play good golf at certain times, you are going to be able to move on to the next year. Because we talked about this on the podcast, and with how it's structured or how it used to be structured, players would get done with nationals and they would have to wait four or five months before the uh, qualifying school started. So they were kind of in limbo on what to do. And maybe they could get some sponsors exemptions. Maybe they didn't. But at least now you have a, a criteria that you need to do to be able to get to the, to the big stage on the PGA Tour. So is it, is it a solid change that they've been making? Yes, but there are a decent amount of tweaks that need to be done going forward. One obvious tweak that I feel like should be made, and this applies to Fred Biondi, who won the individual national championship at Greyhawk. He gets full corn fairy status for being second on the PGA Tour U points list. But, and then he, he gets into Augusta National and the Masters for winning the NCAA national championship. But the problem is, he would have to stay an amateur to be able to play in the Masters next year where, I mean, he's probably going to, you know, forfeit the Masters invite to be able to play a full schedule on the Corn Ferry Tour. Why are they screwing over the kid instead and making him stay an amateur? It makes no sense to me, T-Dub. It seems like the only guy... Uh, that is not benefiting is the guy who got the exemption into the Masters in the first place. So when Augusta implemented this, the new rule of allowing the NCAA champion to move on, it was a little simple because it was the first time in however long, maybe ever, I can't exactly remember, where a freshman had won NCAA Nationals. So no, he's not going to turn pro directly after that, so he's still going to stay an amateur. But you'd think that going forward, a good amount of players that win the NCAA championship will be seniors. So, I mean, how many of them are realistically going to stay an amateur for however long and give up their uh, their status on the Corn Ferry Tour to be able to earn their way to the PGA Tour to do it? If he could do both of them, I mean, that's going to be 
that would be exceptional. That's what should happen. It, I used to critique this with the USGA all the time, and even even Masters to an extent, whenever they allow the U.S. amateur U.S. U.S. amateur runner-up to play in the tournament. But you can't if you turn into a professional. It makes no sense to me. It's not like they turn into a different player by this stretch. They still have the same accomplishment they did how many ever months ago by doing that. So no, it makes absolutely no sense to me. And it's uh, it's one of those changes. It, it's similar to. To being in a divot in the fairway, right, Sam? It's a rule that everyone knows should be changed, and eventually you think it has to, and really until it does, you're kind of just sitting here and you're really just kind of like punching your, your fist into your hand because you're like, why is this not happening yet? Because it's so ludicrous that it is kind of a joke. Well, I'll tell you when this rule for Augusta National is going to get changed. It's going to get changed whenever, for instance, Fred Biondi this year. Now, I'm not saying that he is going to live, but imagine – that Liv said, we will give you an NIL deal throughout type deal throughout the next year, right? And pay Fred Biondi, right? And then to and then once he becomes or once he plays in the Masters, then he turns professional, right? Because it's legal for uh college players to receive NIL deals. So what if he just stays an amateur? Liv pays him until he plays in the masters and he makes more than he would have made on the corn Ferry tour anyways. And then once he plays in the masters, he signs with live that would change Augusta nationals mind on that. Well, and especially too, Sam, there's been a lot of talk here in the last couple of weeks about how the live live tour is going to have uh, relegation. So where the, the final four on the standings are essentially kicked off. So, you know, that based off that they're trying to recruit at, at minimum four new players every year to join the tour. And there's no way that the discussions with these top five players on the PJ Tour, you are not have not been discussed at length at some point. I mean, if these kids aren't at least listening to the offers, I, I feel like that that they need to have some some better counsel when it comes to that. But but no, I, there's definitely going to be a situation where it, that that could definitely happen down down the road. Is it going to happen this year? Who knows? But no, there there will be a time throughout the course of golf if the landscape of the game continues the way that it is. That events as you just described, Sam, would transpire in those exact ways, and that would uh, definitely cause a a tsunami of, of sense when it comes to uh, how these these things have been looked at over the last couple a uh, couple months for sure. No doubt. And then to wrap the PGA Tour U thing up is that's exactly why they're giving the top player Love the Gayberg a PGA Tour card and a way right to the PGA Tour be, so, to deter these guys from signing with Liv right out of college and Liv getting all the young players. That's why they finally made the change. It it didn't have to do with it was the right thing to do in the first place. It had to do with the competition uh, that Liv has provided. Uh, T-Dub, let's dive into the tournament. And to start this conversation off, we have to talk about the Oklahoma Sooners, the team that everyone cares about around here. Number one, we didn't even have Oklahoma State in the golf tournament. We did have Jonas Baumgartner in the golf tournament. We'll get to him in a second. Um, but Oklahoma ends up finishing 17th, does not even make the final round of stroke play. They shoot 27 over uh, for the golf tournament. Texas Tech didn't make it either. It was actually the first time in the history of the Big 12 that a Big 12 team did not make the final round of stroke play. Um, it was kind of a disappointing national championship, a very disappointing national championship uh, for Ryan Hibble and the Sooners. I mean, the the older guys, the veterans did not play well. You have Patrick Welch, the cross-handed bandit, shoot 17 over. You had uh, 
you know, Stephen Campbell Jr. finished 10 over. Uh, ben Lorenz finished 12 over for the golf tournament. The guys that Hibble was really looking to to provide that experience and really be that, you know, guy you can lean on in those veterans they didn't really come through and that's why they didn't even not not only did they not make match play they didn't even make the final round of stroke play they finished 17th have to finish in the top 15 to get into that final round of stroke play they did not now drew goodman uh did end up making uh the final round individually as well as uh as well as Jay Summy made the final round, I think, of in of the national championship individually. Um, but really disappointing for the Sooners not even to make the final round of stroke play, T-Dub. Yeah, there's really no way to sugarcoat it. It was absolutely horrible performance by OU in really all regards. Andrew Goodman finished uh, top 20, but other than that, their next best finish was 33rd. So now there's really no way of saying that it was not a disappointment because I, I do believe that uh, over the last couple of months in particular, I mean, we had all been really, really high on them. Looks like they've been playing some great golf, won the Big 12 that, or won the Big 12 championship over Texas Tech. And uh, I know there was a guy that, that you and the team that you and Woody were high on to go out and win the national championship. And I thought they would at least make the match play portion. But no, to not even get to the final uh, round uh, of the stroke play portion, the final round of the team contest, it was, yes, very, very disappointing. I believe they missed it by two shots, I believe, or something like that. But it was really weird to not see a Big 12 team make it in there. We already cataloged how OSU didn't even make it to nationals. But, yeah, Texas Tech not making it. Yeah, Texas not making it as well. The Baylor Bears, uh, our friend Mike McGraw down there, they were in it as well. They did not make it through. So it was pretty, uh, pretty interesting to see a final day where there were no Big 12 teams in contention, but uh, but no, then you had a team like my, my pick to win it all. North Carolina goes out and wins the stroke play portion, and then as we've seen every single year except for one when OSU won at Carson Creek where the one seed is not able to uh, – the one seed going into match play does not end up winning the national championship. So, uh, so no, but no, going back to OU, it was uh, no way to say it, Sam. A very disappointing national championship for them. No doubt, no doubt. But they got some good recruits coming in. Ryder Cowan of OCS, back-to-back state champion. Uh, they still have a young lineup. It was it was supposed to be a rebuilding year, and then the expectations got higher as they won two times leading up to the Big 12 championship, then win the Big 12 championship, finish second at regionals. Um, and so the expectation level was, I, I think, maybe boosted a little bit. I think, T-Dub, it was one of those situations where – they weren't necessarily as good as Big 12 champions, but they weren't necessarily, uh, you know, rebuilding this year. And I think that and they weren't as bad as how they played at Greyhawk. They were somewhere in between all year. I think they kind of exceeded expectations all year and then uh, had a disappointing national championship. But uh, the other team that I want to talk about before we dive into uh, the individual championship and the match play is Vanderbilt Vanderbilt did not make match play either. They finished tied for 11th for the golf tournament. Gordon Sargent finishes six over, tied for 40th uh, for the Vanderbilt uh, Commodores. And and it was it was one of those weird tournaments where, and one of those weird courses, T-Dub, where like Vanderbilt has bombers and they have ball speed. And the, Greyhawk took the driver out of these guys' hands and it wasn't a great golf course for a guy like a Gordon Sargent or even a Ludwig Aberg. Um, you know, the three, four and five bags for Vanderbilt, 14 over 10 over and four over for the golf tournament, the two bag shot seven over. I mean, it was just 
not a good week for Vanderbilt, the number one team in the country, and they don't even make match play. Yeah, very disappointing, but that's a good point that you mentioned because uh, Greyhawk's not a course that uh, you're actually going to go out and overpower. There's a lot of holes where you're going to have to hit an iron or maybe even a hybrid fairway with something like that just to keep the ball in play. But, no, whenever you're the number one team going into Nationals, the last thing you would expect is to not make the match play portion. But with how competitive and how deep some of these teams are now, and you just go out there and you don't have your best stuff, this is what's going to happen. And even someone who's supposed to be the catalyst of the team, uh, Gordon Sargent, he shoots six over for the tournament finishes 40th. So it, it definitely not a course that sets up well for him at all. His 190 ball speed cannot be taken fully advantage of out at Greyhawk. But, but no, it was – and even Vanderbilt, um, as, as Cam Jordan had mentioned when we had him on the podcast earlier this week, that they had really not played their best stuff the last couple of months. They really had they played their best golf in the fall and early, early spring, but they had kind of been trending downwards from what they had been playing. So I guess if we – even as fall, close as we had followed it, we just expected the talent to prevail. But even from what we've seen the last month or two, Sam, it shouldn't come as a complete shock that they didn't make it through just because it seemed like that we talk about this all the time in college golf, it seemed like Vanderbilt started peaking too early in the year. And unfortunately, you can only play so much good golf in a year, and it seems like they just got all theirs out of their way too early. No doubt about that. Let's go ahead and hit a break here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon. After the break, we are going to dive into that individual national championship with Fred Biondi and Ross Steelman and then also cover the match play portion of the national championship and tell you guys everything that happened with that here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the 73rd Hole Radio Show on the Sports Animal. And we are back here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show, live on the Sports Animals. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you, recapping the NCAA National Championship that happened at Greyhawk last week. T-Dub, as far as the individual portion goes, it was a wild final round, especially a wild last six holes, and that's really the difference in the golf tournament. Ross Steelman, the 15th-ranked player in the country from Georgia Tech, came into the final round with a four-shot lead and a five-shot lead over the eventual champion, Fred Biondi. Um, but the difference is, T-Dub, is that Ross Steelman played the last six holes three over par, and Fred Biondi played the last six holes at one under par. And by the way, if you weren't watching the tournament, it's not like a normal individual golf tournament where, you know, the leader or the guy that's ahead is playing behind everybody. Fred Biondi was actually playing behind Ross Steelman, so he knew what he had to do because it was paired based on the team portion, which I think they should pair based on the individual portion of the leaderboard considering the only thing that the team portion is for is for seeding for match play. Um, but that's a different discussion. Fred Biondi goes out and she's 33 on the front nine with a double bogey um, and then proceeds to not let that double distract him. He birdies nine and birdies 10 didn't have a bogey at uh, 12 and then birdies 14 and pars in Um but that happened after Ross Steelman had this tournament right in the palm of his hands, T-Dub. He bogeys uh, the par three 16th, and then on 17, he decided to lay up the drivable par four, and he hit it, he lays up, and he hits it right down the middle of the fairway into a sand-filled divot, 
and ends up catching it a little bit fat, and it comes off the front of the green into the bunker, makes bogey on 17, and then stripes a drive on 18, T-Dub, and it's normally a par 5 for uh, the members, but they were playing it as a par 4, and he murders this drive down there, has, what, a 9-iron into the green, uh, water down the right side, bunkers on the left, but, I mean, this is as much of a green light uh, you know, pin location for a guy that is in the lead of a golf tournament on that hole. It was about as easy of a second shot as you can possibly have on 18 at Greyhawk. And he misses it right, does not get it up and down and ends up losing the individual national championship by one shot. Ross Steelman, uh, you know, had to be kicking himself on that second shot on 18. Fred Biondi, on the other hand, was just rock solid, made every single Clutch putt that he needed to make coming down the stretch. Florida's Fred Biondi, the 57th ranked player in college golf, ends up winning the national championship. Uh, and it was really foreshadowing what happened in the team portion. We'll get to in a second. But just as far as the individual national championship, T-Dub, what were your thoughts? Yeah, finishing bogey, bogey, bogey to lose by one shot. There's really few ways that to losing a golf tournament can be worse than that, especially since – Stillman had to lead the entire tournament. She go out and shoot a 64 in the first round and follows it up with 69-68. And as you mentioned earlier, they had a four-shot lead going in the final round. And, and those situations can be tough whenever you have such a big lead like that. Even if you have a one- or two-shot lead, it's tough. But having a bigger lead like that, it makes it to where the only thing you're thinking about at that point is, well, if I don't – if I if I mess up here, I could lose this as opposed to thinking going out and win it. So there's a lot of thoughts that go in your mind there. He did have a very costly double early in the round on the sixth hole. It really hurt him as well, but he was able to rebound with birdies on eight and 11. But then, as you mentioned, that, that final stretch in the Sandfield divot on 17 is, re is really what got him. But you got to give it up to Fred Biondi as well. He played his last six holes at one under par, which is very, very solid, and he made, uh, made five birdies in his final round and shot all four rounds at Greyhawk in the 60s. That's very well deserving of a national champion for sure. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And like we said, gets the exemption into Augusta National if he wants it, but he'll probably end up taking the what he got for finishing in the top five of PGA Tour U, which is full corn fairy status next year. Uh, T-Dub, let's dive into the match play portion of the national championship, the team portion of the national championship. North Carolina, the one seed, goes out and they played Arizona State in the first match and – Arizona State got into match play through a playoff with Stanford, um, and North Carolina looked like a powerhouse. They go out and dominate uh, the home team, I guess you could say, in Arizona State. Uh, Dylan Minetti was playing great. Austin Greaser, now he played solid in the individual portion. He was the only guy to lose for North Carolina in that Arizona State match, but they looked like a powerhouse. The two-seed Florida uh, ends up winning 3-2 to two over the University of Virginia in the first round. Illinois uh, went down in the first round to Florida State. Florida State ends up winning that 3-2 to two, uh, over Illinois, who I thought had a pretty good chance to make the finals of the match play. But Mike Small's boys end up going down in the first round of match play. And then you had Georgia Tech, who Ross Steelman was leading, uh, I mean, Ross Steelman ended up winning five and four over William Mao, Pepperdine's best player. Um, Georgia Tech ends up beating Pepperdine 
three to two. And then we get to the second round of match play, T-Dub, and it was Florida versus Florida State, and this was a crazy match. I mean, it, it really it came down to Castillo. He went 21 holes, ended up winning his match uh, for Florida over uh, Roberts of Florida State, and then they won one up. Du- uh, Dubois won one up, uh, and then uh, Biondi won one up, both for Florida. So they end up winning three to two over Florida State, and then uh, Georgia Tech and North Carolina. This was really, in my opinion, the two teams that were playing the best leading into match play. Uh, they played in the semifinals, and Georgia Tech gets it done, winning three to two over my preseason pick North Carolina and you picked them right before the national championship T-Dub Dylan Minetti wins six and five but unfortunately for the Tar Heels Burnett loses four and two Greaser loses four and two and Fountain loses one down uh Davis Ford David Ford uh wins one up for the Tar Heels um but Georgia Tech and Florida make it into the finals T-Dub and this was a wild championship match because you had Yushin Lin go out and and win the first point for Florida four and three that match wasn't close but every other match after that was extremely tight and Georgia Tech through about 14 holes of the last four matches looked like they had the tournament in the palm of their hands now Forrester missed like a two-foot putt on 17 to close out his match ends up having to go 20 holes and wins it for Georgia Tech so it was tied one to one at the time Uh, but then Dubois was super clutch for Florida winning his match one up Biondi won his match one up and clinched the national title for Florida over Georgia Tech so not only does Fred Biondi get the job done individually over Ross Steelman and Georgia Tech. He gets the job done over Ty in that match, winning one up. And really, it, it sucks for Ross Steelman finishing second, not only to Biondi in the individual portion, but finishing second to the Florida Gators uh, in the national championship. And by the way, one thing about the national championship that I don't like is Castillo was one up through 17 holes. And they just stop playing like they just like run out in the fairway and they're like, oh, it's over. Let let them finish the match, even though the national championship team portion is over. Castillo is one up on Ross Steelman through 17 holes. That would have been a nice feather under your hat to say you beat Ross Steelman in your national championship match. But it turns out that he was just one up through 17 holes and that's how it ends. Uh, T-Dub, what were your thoughts on that final round? I felt like every putt that Georgia Tech needed to make from about really two and a half feet to 10 feet, they just could not get the ball in the hole. And that's why Florida is your national champions. Now, Florida hit some clutch shots at times, but it was really turning into a pillow fight in that final match. Well, and, and to the point you just said earlier, I completely disagree with the continuing the match. Let's put it this way. If I'm Ross Stillman and Georgia Tech's already lost a national championship and they want me to keep playing, I'm walking off that course so fast it's not even funny. Like, there's no reason to keep playing. So, no, I They keep playing I don't it in the Ryder Cup. Yeah, but yeah, but that's a, a different deal, man. That that's a that's a prestige for your country, and no, there, there's no reason to keep going. No, I I don't think that should happen whatsoever. But but no, it was a, a very close, intense match there at the end. I did feel like Florida just played those last. 
four or five holes just so much better than than Georgia Tech did. And yeah, for Stillman to be able to lose to a Florida player and then to lose to Florida in the team contest, no, that 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 has to sting for him absolutely immensely. But no, it was it, it just also though, Sam, it's a consequence of what happens with this match play portion. This is kind of what they wanted. It was you you want it to be for TV purposes and you want to draw the viewership on what is going to be an exciting final round because you don't want a team with a four or five shot lead and just coasting in to win, which is what you saw a lot of times in stroke play portions. So no, this is exactly what the the golf channel in particular would want from a viewership perspective. One of the the dumbest things I had seen in quite some time was that the the, uh, Forrester Crest match, it went on to the 20th hole and uh, beyond the Castillo, they still have their matches playing. And they take Chris and Forrester. They just team up on the 18th hole right in front of everyone. <laughs> Beyondy has to wait on the 18th hole for 15 minutes to hit his shot because there's only 16 or 17 other holes that that group could have went and played a hole on. But, no, let's go to the one where every other group on the course is playing. Now, Sam, that was one of the dumbest things I'd ever seen in a golf tournament in my entire life. It had to be because of TV, right, that they only had – you know, the cameras set up since they might've taken the cameras down on the other holes on the front nine or something like that. But, and then the other thing is at Greyhawk, I mean, no hole really goes back towards the clubhouse except for 18, but it's ridiculous to make the guy leading the golf tournament, wait 15 minutes on the 18th hole. It turns out uh, that he did hit the fairway on that tee shot. But at the same time, you're thinking, oh my gosh, just let me hit this tee shot, right? If you're Fred Biondi, that was ridiculous. And and by the way, the, the individual portion of the national championship was the same way. The last three holes took forever. We talk about Patrick Cantlay and, you know, slow play on the professional level, it was really slow play uh, in the final round of not only the individual portion of the national championship, but like you just said, they brought the the, the Forrester match to 18 and put them right in front of the guy that's leading the golf tournament. Well, and two, if, if Castillo did have to keep playing his match, he would have it would have taken him 20 minutes to hit his ball because right when they got done on 17. Beyondi had just teed off on 18, so they would have had to wait forever. I, I just, you're 100% right, though. It was the, the TV purposes as to why they made this decision. But, I mean, can we not go tee him off on 17? Can, can we not do that to get them play a nice little drivable par four as well? I feel like that would be a pretty good hole to do this on. But, no, let's go ahead and do this and slow everyone else up. It was just, I, I you're exactly right. The TV is why they did it, but it was just from knowing how golf term is supposed to be run, it was so stupid that it, that it is a joke. My last thing on college golf, T-Dub, is why is there not just three national championships? One team, stroke play national champion, one individual stroke play national champion, and one match play national champion. You could get your match play for TV purposes. It's still great. North Carolina, who played the best golf throughout the week, they end up winning the national championship for stroke play. Other sports, T-Dub, like gymnastics or whatever, they have multiple national championships for teams. I, I don't understand why it has to be just one match play national championship. Now, it turns out that Florida wins, and Fred Biondi, who won the individual national championship, he ends up winning the team portion in match play. It just seems like there's a better way to do it. It just seems like year in and year out, yes, it's entertaining, but at the same time, you kind of leave feeling like, I don't know if Florida was playing the best golf this week. I just don't. There's definitely going to have to be some sort of critique going forward if college golf wants the the credibility 
that it deserves. I've been kind of thinking about this. I mean, when you look at the team portion, I'm not a big fan of going stroke play then match play. I wouldn't have a problem with it. What is it, 30 teams make nationals? Let's just do 32 teams make it, and let's just do all match play. The thing you have to figure out from there is how do you do the individual portion of that? So you probably have to do kind of like what you're saying and have almost an entirely different tournament to determine that national champion. But, no, I feel like if you did full-on match play, then you could kind of – and maybe do like a double elimination type thing so where there's, you know, maybe just one team, the best team in the country doesn't just have one bad round and kind of get fluked out of it. So I feel like that would – at least just from the surface of it, there's probably a lot more logistics go into it, but – Maybe make it fully match play. Maybe do a double elimination type thing. I think that would be a, probably a pretty cool way to experience a, a college golf national championship. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And I, like I said earlier, the one thing that I didn't like was the fact that Biondi got the advantage of playing after Ross Steelman. There's just different – it's it's not like a normal individual tournament, right, that they play all year. It just seems like the best way to do it would be to have two separate tournaments uh, and crown – three different national champions. I think that that wouldn't be that hard to do. Um, T-Dub, let's go ahead and hit a break here on the 73rd hole radio show. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon. We got one more segment coming up. We're going to talk a little bit about Phil and Brandel, and then we're going to give you guys our picks for the memorial coming up this afternoon on the 73rd hole radio show on Oklahoma's leader in golf, the sports animal. back here for one final segment on the 73rd hole radio show live on the sports animal sam humphreys taylor williams preston pool with you we got some breaking news here regarding the memorial at muirfield village colin morikawa who shot four under yesterday he's four under for the golf tournament tied for ninth has withdrawn before the final round due to a back injury. He said that he hit some balls on the range and is having major back spasms. T-Dub, this is kind of ironic because he ended up winning the Memorial back. Remember when Rom had to, you know, was forced to withdraw during COVID. So it's kind of a full circle deal here where Colin Morikawa has to withdraw before the final round of the memorial but hope Colin Morikawa is okay because he was starting to play some really solid golf and you know headed to LA Country Club a place you know where he should have a lot of success out in California being a California kid at the U.S. Open hopefully Colin Morikawa is healthy headed into the U.S. Open T-Dub any thoughts on Colin Morikawa withdrawing before the final round of the memorial uh, pretty shocking in all honesty. I mean, it seemed like he was swinging very well yesterday. Made eight birdies to shooting a four under uh, 68 out there. Gain, he was gaining 1.72 shots approach. So, generally, if you're having back problems, usually your iron swing isn't that good. And Morikawa, he has been hitting his irons, in all honesty, the best that he has in his entire career going into this week, which was, or really this year altogether. He has not lost strokes gain approach going all the way back to the Scottish Open last year in July. So, it's almost gone a full calendar year of just dominating it with the irons and this is a course that he had played really good on as well you mentioned that the year uh, he had to win or john rom had to withdraw because of covid uh morikawa did finish second that year to uh, patrick Kalin, who ended up winning so uh, morikawa the three times he's played in this tournament has missed the cut finished second finished 48th there so it seemed like that he had gotten a little bit of a groove coming back onto this course but but yes yeah, sam it's uh, definitely something that 
May, well, we'll have to see how long this lasts. We got the U.S. Open coming up in a couple of weeks. I would be pretty shocked if he wasn't able to play that tournament. But it uh, definitely gives you a little bit of skepticism if you were wanting to save him for that tournament, to pick him there or something like that. It's going to be pretty hard for me to uh, be overly confident in Morikawa going forward, especially considering the fact that his putter over the last uh, six months in particular has been absolutely horrible. T-Dub, let's, uh, if, if people missed our first hour previewing this final round of the Memorial um, let's go ahead and recap this leaderboard. You got Rory McIlroy at six under par tied with Siwoo Wu- si Kim and David Lipsky tied for fourth. You have Denny McCarthy, Victor Hovland, Wyndham Clark, Lee Hodges, and Mark Hubbard at five under, uh, and then tied for ninth at four under par. You have Keegan Bradley who shot seven under par yesterday. You will not have Colin Morikawa there tied for ninth. And then you have Patrick Rogers, Patrick Cantlay and Hideki Matsuyama. And then one shot back at them, you got Adam Scott, Ricky Fowler, Justin Su, Austin Eckrote, uh, Sung J M. Um, so let me give you the odds for this final round. You have Rory McElroy, uh, plus two eighty. You have Siwoo Kim plus seven fifty. You have Victor Hovland plus eight fifty. Wyndham Clark plus 1,200, and Patrick Cantlay also plus 1,200. I think that Patrick Cantlay, and this may be wishful thinking on my part because he is my one-and-done pick this week at the Memorial. I think Patrick Cantlay at plus 1,200 is probably your best bet unless you want to go with a guy, you know, three under or two under that's going to have, you know, over, you know, 3,000 or 4,000, plus 3,000 or plus 4,000 odds, T-Dub. I I think Patrick Cantlay at plus 1,200 is pretty good. I thought it was pretty good as well, Sam, until I just watched him about two minutes ago, and he was in the fairway bunker on one and hit the lip, and it's in the rough. Oh, so perfect. about 160 yards sounds out. sounds about right. From the rough, it's hitting his third shot on number one. So, yeah, the pick's looking good. <laughs> John Rom just did hole out. John Rom just did his hole out on number nine from about 150 yards, so it's pretty cool. We got some fireworks going already in, in this final round. But, no, Cantlay was my pick as well, Sam, in the first hour, but uh, he's going to be stra- scrambling to make a bogey on this first hole. So, even currently on the analytics, he's the third favorite at about a 10% chance to win Siwoo Kim's at a 13%. Uh, Rory is the leader at 15% chance to win. So, But I've got a feeling after this first hole, Sam, that uh, unless Cantlay can pull off some kind of magic here, that those uh, percentage odds will go down just a smidge. No doubt about it. T-Dub, to wrap up the show here today, um, we've heard a lot from Brandel and Phil Mickelson. Phil Mickelson's been going crazy on Twitter this week, and I absolutely love it. We've got unfiltered Phil on Twitter this week. He said about Rory McIlroy before we even get into Brandel and Phil going back and forth. Phil said about Rory McIlroy, he said, as worn out as McIlroy was after the Masters and his need for an offseason, Liv would be perfect for him. The problem is I don't think there's a team that wants him on it because they'd have to deal with all of his BS. Uh, Phil, being very unfiltered, he's tired of uh, the Golf Channel stuff and Rory's stuff. Um, and they've been trying to set up a debate between Brandel Chambly and Phil Mickelson. Um, it sounds like it might happen with Pierce Morgan at Live London. And then, you know, Brandel said, uh, you know, I offered two dates to Phil. And then he turned down both of them. And then Phil tweeted back and said, this is absolute blasphemy. Uh, we have not communicated at all either. 
uh, either he is making this up or most likely scenario knowing him, he's talking with someone else impersonating me. <laughs> I don't know. The, the, these guys are going back and forth. And so I don't care which side of the debate you're on. T-Dub, my only question here to end the show is who would win the debate? I'm not talking about who's making the better points that you agree with. I'm talking about who do you think would win the debate? Because in my opinion, if Brandle is speechless after talking to Brad Faxon, just wait to see how speechless he would be after Phil Mickelson unleashes on him. Just because Brandle knows big words, that doesn't make him any less of an idiot, T-Dub. One of the dumbest things that any person can do is have a debate with someone who is so close-minded that they'll never admit that they're wrong. So there's no way Brandon can lose the debate because he'll never admit that he's wrong. I mean, that, that's the thing. And he's, he is so soft of an individual. I don't think there's a chance in the world that this ends up getting done. Uh, he mentioned in, in his tweet that the, the time they want to do it, Piers Morgan, Brandon will be covering the U.S. Women's Open, which I do believe is at Pebble this year. So, uh, so Brandon will not be doing it. That week, and I think that the odds of them getting something scheduled are very slim to none, but I do agree that Phil would probably put Brandle in this place by a large amount just because, like I said, Brandle just tries to use big words, and a lot of times he uses big words wrongly, which I think is, is pretty comical as well whenever I can catch those every once in a while. And you even have uh, people like Lisa Cornwell who used to work for the Golf Channel. She's been pretty outspoken here recently just about how, how much of a, of a tool that Brandel Chambly really is. And it seems like a lot of people are coming out and seeing it as well. So, really, Sam, at the end of the day, I think anyone with, with half of a mind can see that Brandel is really just a puppet in, in this whole thing. And he's never going to admit that he's wrong, no matter what happens for the rest of time. So, as much as we do want to see this, de- this debate happen, I think the odds of it are pretty slim, even though just from watching him from afar on Twitter has been wildly entertaining. Someone... <laughs> Someone has to take uh, Phil's phone sometimes, though. I feel like sometimes I wish he would just save it for the debate with Brandle, right? I, I feel like sometimes he's using all of his good stuff on Twitter and where he could have just surprised Brandle with some of this stuff uh, in the debate. I'm with you. I don't think the debate will ever actually happen. The problem is Brandle works for the Golf Channel, and Phil doesn't want the, the Golf Channel to benefit uh, any if they do this debate. Now, I will say that it would be – must watch TV or podcast or YouTube, however they do decide to do it. If they do do it, T-Dub, it would be absolute must watch. I guarantee the ratings on that would be, I mean, astronomical, T-Dub, right? Oh, it's at a point to where I'd pay a pay-per-view price to watch it. I mean, that's how intensely that this is right now because you have someone who's so passionate and Brandon who will not admit that he's wrong and Phil, who also knows a lot more things than the general public does about how the tour has been over the last two decades. And it's, yeah, no, it, it would absolutely be must-watch television. And even just the scenarios I'm playing out in my head of what could happen. I'm also just thinking about all the, you know, all the TikToks and the Instagram rules that could be created from off these one-minute rules if, if Phil just absolutely roasts Brandle at some point. That would be the whole time that I'm waiting there for. Just say one thing that makes Brandle shut up and just be so lost in his words that he doesn't know what to do. That would what I'd be sitting there waiting on my edge of my seat for that to happen. No doubt about it. We'll get more into that on the podcast. That's a whole, you know, 30-minute to an hour discussion. We could talk about Phil and Brandle and Rory and all of it. 
watching Rory on the range right now leading up to the final round of the Memorial. Preston, do you have a pick for today? Uh, you know, you can't pick Colmore or Kawa anymore unless you really want to. Yeah, I mean, he would been would have been one of the ones uh, that I would have picked, but I'll go with uh, Victor Hovland. Going with the former Cowboy, Victor Hovland, I would love to see it. That would be his first win in the continental United States. Like I said, I'm going with Cantlay, but it doesn't sound like he's off to a very good start. T-Dub is in the same boat as me. Cantlay being our one-and-done pick for the week. We will be back tomorrow on the 73rd Hole podcast, recapping everything at the Memorial and getting into more of the Rose Zang discussion that we had earlier on in the show as well. If you want to subscribe to that and get that notification whenever we drop new episodes, we got great stuff coming up this summer, not only with major championships coming up, but the Corn Ferry event up at Jimmy Austin as well. Definitely hit the subscribe button and it will give you a notification and it just helps us out. Also follow us at the 73rd hole on Twitter at 73rd hole on Instagram. This has been Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, and Preston Poole on Oklahoma's leader in golf, the sports animal.